0: Hello,
2: hello, and welcome to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the Deputy Editor of Yankees Magazine. Joining me right now, we have our Editor-in-Chief, Al Santasiri. Hello. What's up, Al? And we have our Executive Editor, Nathan Makaborski. Hello, everybody. What's going on, guys? You, uh, I know it hasn't been uh, all joy for Yankees fans in terms of uh, this playoffs, uh, but have you guys been keeping up with it? A little bit. It's interesting,
3: you know, not as predictable as i thought it was going to be there's a lot of teams that i i didn't really expect to see where they are right now
0: it's been fun though nate what about you you've you been watching uh i gotta be honest i i haven't it's been hard to turn on the alcs i mean <laughs> <laughs> from our perspective it's just you know i'll be rooting for the nl team in the world series whoever it is but uh you know that that series has been really interesting you know and so far through the first uh four games gone the exact same way it went last year, and then the Dodgers took the last three. So I'll be interested to see how this one wraps up.
2: Yes, on the one hand, the results in terms of games are the same, but I don't know. Obviously, the Dodgers did what they did at the end of game three there, so don't count them out, but... They don't look like a team that's going to
0: win three in a row. I don't know. I've been wrong about almost everything this baseball season. So (laughs) take that for what it's worth. And I mean, the same could be said about any team that has been down 3-1 before. But, you know, every now and then they come back. So it happens. You're right. Obviously, I think, Nate, so
2: you're saying that instead of watching the ALCS, you've just been watching Squid Game like everyone else?
0: <laughs> I've been watching some different things. I, I was supposed to go to a concert last night, but my daughter got sick, so I stayed home and watched a movie instead. Um, yeah, you know, all, all over the place a little bit, but it's been good. A lot of football, too. Fair enough. Yeah, some good football.
3: We got a QA and a with Kyle Rudolph from the New York Giants in the October issue. So got kind of a touchdown
2: pass this past week. He, he did. Look at he that. did,
3: and... uh I certainly have been watching a lot of football. I had interviewed him uh, a long time ago at Notre Dame. Uh, when he uh, lost to your Michigan Wolverines, John, and then got a chance to interview him uh, 10 years later. So I have a little bit of a a special interest, uh, more special interest in the Giants this year because he's on the Giants. He didn't get to play in the inaugural game at the then new Yankee Stadium because he was hurt, but he was here and shed some light on what it was like being on the sideline and being kind of an honorary captain. And now he's in New York playing uh, for the Giants. So uh, yeah, I got a little bit of an
0: added incentive to watch them. I wish they could win a couple more games, but hopefully that'll come. Speaking of football players that we've interviewed for Yankees Magazine in years past, uh, I think it was about a week before he got drafted. Derrick Henry was here for a Yankee game, and we interviewed him. I got, I got a chance to speak to him, and boy, he's been a lot of fun to watch over the years, especially this season. Imagine tackling that dude! Oh my god, <laughs> I, yeah, <I'd> be, <laughs> I would just be, I, I would turn into a pile of goo if he ran into me at full speed. <laughs> it takes a village to tackle him. It's not—and even person. then, it doesn't always work. Yeah. <laughs>
2: he, sometimes, he sometimes batters through the village. Uh, obviously, look—we got basketball season. We got hockey. Season It's kind of that that weird time when everything's kind of going on. uh, And and even the Yankees, it it should be said, while unfortunately the Yankees are not on the field right now, they still did make news this week. Obviously, we're talking about bringing back Aaron Boone on a a three-year deal with a one-year option. I think as we sat there in the Fenway Park press box after that wild card game. I don't know if you would have put it at 50-50. I don't know I don't know what you would have said exactly as to what the chances were. I think it was it was an interesting question and I think there was a lot to be said kind of on either side. What you heard during the press conference from Brian Cashman is essentially their the team's belief that if Aaron Boone was on the market, he would be the top managerial target available. And I think that you know as listeners you're free to agree with that, you're free to not agree with that whatever you want, but obviously that is gives a sense on what you know the Yankees front office at least thinks right now, and I think a, a big part of
3: that is you know, and and no one wants to hear excuses or injuries or hear about injuries or anything like that. But you know, this team over the last couple of years hasn't kind of ran the best lineup out onto the field on a consistent basis. Again, no one cares. But what I will say is, in spite of any adversity that they face, you know, Aaron Boone is a Manager of the Yankees, starting as a rookie manager, won 100 games in 2018. 100 games again in 2019. Obviously, um, you know there was an abbreviated season last year. Went back, but did go to the postseason. And then this year, um, you know, in a season that looked so bleak at times and was up and down and true, the truest of roller coaster seasons, finished with 92 wins and, and got into the postseason. You know, no one really feels great about a, a season. Certainly in this city. Unless it ends with a championship or at least a, a trip to the fall classic. Um, if he had had that success in a, in a city somewhere else, I mean, they may have a statue for him by now and, and just be waiting for that championship. So, you know, you have to kind of, in a way, put things in perspective of what's happened over the, the whole tenure. And obviously, it's not been a long tenure yet, but he's been successful every year. Uh, he's incredibly respected and well-liked by his players and the front office and you know they i think they have a great chance moving
0: forward yeah look i mean i wasn't surprised when when they announced that aaron boone will be coming back um because when they you know when the yankees first brought him aboard uh, a few years ago you know they kind of laid out all the reasons why and and all the attributes that he has and, and the things he brings to the table and those things haven't changed. I mean, he's a really positive guy. He's, you know, very accountable, like Al said, you know, always the respect of the clubhouse. And so why would you get rid of that? I mean, you know, and who are you going to find that's sure every manager's different and every guy has his, his you know, a little different style and stuff like that. But essentially the, the core tenets that, that you believe are important in a manager, uh, Aaron Boone still has those. So, you know, he said it, Cashman said it, and Hal Steinbrenner said it in his letter, you know, Things got to get better, and period. So Aaron Boone said very clearly in his press conference the other day, it's on him to to do better as a manager and to get more out of his coaching staff and his players.
2: I think there was so much interesting stuff in that press conference, or the two press conferences, if you will, the Cashman one and then the Aaron Boone one, that go into how this organization is run right now and, and philosophically how what what the management style is, and it, it kind of made me laugh out. I don't know if you remember this, if you remember what I'm going to say about this, but yeah I once spoke to the class you teach, and I made a comment that I think you know, speaking in front of my boss might have taken you back back a little bit, and I said that you know one of one of the easiest things you could do as an employee is just say sorry and take responsibility even if you don't always mean it because it just disarms your boss. like what's if you walk into a situation where someone screwed up and you just go into your boss and say, I screwed up. Here's what it is, and I'm going to fix it. Obviously, from a moral perspective, that's a good thing to do. But also, just from a practical perspective, you just cut your boss out from under. What's he going to say at that point? You know, it's disarming. And if you listen to Brian Cashman right now in, in these pressers, you know, he sits there in front of the entire New York media, kind of entire you know New York fan base, and says everything's on me. Uh, you know, all all the flaws right now they're on me. And you think back to when you know the the trajectory of Brian Cashman's career. You know, he couldn't do that when, you know, the boss was, uh, you know, breathing down everyone's neck. And if, you know, you if you went on a five-game losing streak, you know, he would fire the grounds crew. Um, <laughs> but, you know, now you have Brian Cashman sitting there knowing that not only is he confident enough and respected enough, in a sense, to be able to do that, but also, what are you going to write after that? If the guy says, yeah, it's on me, are you going to kill him after that? No, he just killed himself. So what are you going to say? And it's just like it's completely disarming and it's completely effective. And so... It, it turns this conversation from, you know, you know, he, he sits down there and says everything's going to change. Every player is up for, you know, assessment this year. There's no sacred cows, whatever. And everything's on me. And if you're a columnist who's ready to kill the team or whatever, well, what are you going to say? It, it, where's the vitriol? He just said it.
3: I agree with you. And I remember when you did that guest lecture for me at St. John's, and I remember the comment and, and, and it was, it was so true. And, and, and obviously, I certainly
2: appreciated your candor. You didn't ask me to leave the room, so thank you for that. That's a great strategy. Well. Just go in and say, "I did it. I screwed up. And yeah. I'm here, here's how I'm going to fix it." And it's like, whoever mad someone wants to be after that, what are they going to say? Like, "Oh, well, you're right. Okay, yeah, yeah." <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I, I, thought about. It's
3: funny that you you bring that up I, for a couple reasons, and and I, ironically, without you even knowing, was going to bring up something that was said in my class last night, our colleague and, and my counter longtime counterpart with the Miami Dolphins, Scott Stone, in last night. And he was talking up to my class and he mentioned he had four mentors in his life. And one of them was was Hall of Fame coach Don Shula, who he worked with for, you know, 25 years or something like that in a really long time. And, you know, one of his, like, famous sayings, but, you know, and it sounds cliche, but it really, it it always resonated with me, and it did again last night, was don't let yesterday affect today. And when Brian comes up, and he's he's obviously, like you said, John, so forthright, taking responsibility, but he's also ready to turn the page. Now, the ironic thing, like, to go back to my first point, is we're talking about words like failure and not letting yesterday affect— you know, affect today and all that stuff. They won 92 games and went to the postseason. And I, and I understand the expectations. And I know it's been a while since this team has won a championship. But again, you know, when I, we're talking about failure and this, yes, they failed to win a championship, but there was a lot of success this year and a lot of perseverance.
2: It, it does interest me, though, because cars on the table here. I think that Aaron Boone is an incredibly positive person to be around. Um, I, I find him accountable. I find him, he seems to care about the right things. I mean, you know, this is stuff that probably, you know, doesn't resonate in huge ways on, you know, Yankees Twitter, but it's harder than ever for me right now to say what this person or that person is thinking, because we're not in the clubhouse anymore. We don't see anything that's not, you know, perfectly for, you know, to be recorded or for consumption. But, But I will say that I get the impression that he has the room, he has the trust of all the players in there and everything like that. And I think that goes a long way. I will say, God, I mean, if you go back to the last couple of World Series champions right now, I certainly can't tell you right now what a good manager is. And, and I mean, like, Dave Roberts, uh, you know, the, the Dodgers won the World Series last year. I have no idea what Dave Roberts is doing with his pitching staff right now. Does that mean that he is a good manager or a bad manager? Well, I don't know. He's a World Series winning manager. Alex Cora obviously always gets a lot of credit for pushing the right buttons. I think if you look a little deeper into some of his things... He plays with fire a lot, and it works, and when it works, he's a genius, and because it doesn't often not work, he's not. But, I mean, I don't really know what he's doing with Chris Sale right now. I don't know why he needs to bring in starters as relievers right now. All these things, I can't tell you. I don't think there is a model right now for what a good manager is. So I think what you have to look to is, you know, does the team get results, and does it seem like, you know, he gets the most out of his players? One thing that I find interesting is I don't know how to answer, you know, what – you know, you, you you said, well, if you don't bring back Aaron Boone, who are you going to bring back? I who knows because what is a good manager? I I I think it just becomes down to, is this a positive person in the organization who you trust, who you like, and who you think is a good ambassador and a good producer? And I think that at the end of the day, the answer that Hal Steinbrenner and Brian Cashman said was
0: yes. Yeah, I mean, with all managers, when you win, you look like a genius. And when yeah. you lose, you, you know, that's that's how it goes. But I but, mean, like, you know, even the Nationals, if you go back another
2: year, David Martinez was the same manager whose team was terrible in the first half of the season and was great in the second half of the season. So is he a great manager for turning it around? Is he a terrible manager for starting the team off terribly? Or is he a genius for finishing? I, 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 sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, no. but like, even in a single season, you could see the roller coaster there. I remember once in Boston during the,
3: the 2003 American League Championship Series, I was in a bar having dinner after um, we had lost a game with a friend, and uh, the friend was was actually pretty close with Joe Torre, and Joe walked in. He was meeting his wife there for dinner, and, and he walked up to his friend at the bar and and to me and said, hey, guys, you know, I got to have a quick dinner because clearly— I didn't know what I was doing tonight. I gotta get I gotta get out of here and get a much better night's rest so that I manage better tomorrow. And now you know, the joke was kinda like, I'm a terrible manager tonight, I guess, because we lost. But mm-hmm. in reality, no, he wasn't a terrible manager. He's a Hall of Fame manager, but there were games that he probably didn't manage as well as others. There were games that he managed really better, outmanaged the opponent, and was outmanaged in other games. But there's you know, there's those that kind of middle ground sometimes where it is out of his control. I think there's a lot of things that Aaron Boone controls during games during spring training during workouts and there's some things that he doesn't and that's just you know he doesn't go out there anymore and try to hit home runs to win the uh the alcs he has guys doing that for him and they have to do that for him
0: you know and one of the other aspects that uh i think is a an important one to note about aaron boone coming back is like there's there's something to be said for continuity and just you know not having when when you bring in a new manager it's kind of like you're hitting a reset button and you know it's a lot of new relationships need to be formed and all this stuff. You know, I remember when when Giancarlo Stanton first came came here from the Marlins, and he was talking about over his like eight years there, he had seven different hitting coaches or something like that. It was like every year he was having to learn a new hitting coach, like get to know this guy. And he's like, you know, it, it was hard to build off of last year when somebody's coming in with a whole different philosophy and stuff like that. So you know, I, I think the fact that just everybody who's who's coming back next year knows what to expect out of Aaron Boone. They've formed relationships with him already. Uh, you know, the bullpen guys can kind of have an idea of when to, when to expect to be deployed, things like that. Um, you know, there's something to be said for. And then just, John, I think you kind of started to go into it earlier, you know, I agree with you. He's a pleasure to work with, you know, any, any time we've ever needed him for anything or wanted to do something with him in the magazine, he's just, he really gets it. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that his previous experience at ESPN was helpful in that regard. I mean, he's been in clubhouses literally his entire life. I mean, he was seven years old in the, locker room with the 1980 Philadelphia Phillies when his dad won a world series and was in the parade uh you know this is his life's work and he's really um adamant about wanting to to taste victory as the Yankees manager so
3: and I would add a point to what you said Nathan about continuity you know you blow things up when you win less than 92 games but when you win 92 games and you're 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 there, so to speak, you know, you're in the postseason, it's hard to start over
2: and also not necessarily necessary to start over. I think that's a great point. I think that we should probably uh, I'll I'll make one last thing and then we should move on from here. But but one thing that I do find interesting, and I'm curious your take on this, because I was playing around with it a little bit on Twitter after the press conference. One thing that I can say about Aaron Boone is he's a great company man. And, and what I mean by that, and we've spoken about this a little bit. We spoke about this when I wrote about um, Anthony Rizzo and Joey Gallo a couple months ago. You know, if you listen to Aaron Boone's press conferences this year, and if you follow baseball Twitter, a lot of people certainly did. There was an awful lot of this team's about to turn the corner. This team, this team has it. This team's going to do it. I believe in this team. Whatever. And I understand that people on Twitter, the, the, that that group on Twitter sometimes wants something a little bit more fiery than that. Sometimes wants the the table to be knocked over. And, and another thing that he would do constantly was say, you know, I don't believe that this team is too right-handed. I don't believe this team strikes out too much. And obviously, then you see Brian Cashman, whose job it is to create the roster, go out and get two left-handed hitters and say this team was too right-handed. In the press conference, while acknowledging that the you know division champion Ray struck out more than the Yankees, did say that, you know, the team struck out too much and everything like that. Obviously, I think it goes without saying that Brian Cashman is not saying Aaron Boone is naive and wrong for saying these things, because if he believed that, he would have not rehired him. But there's something to be said for the incongruity kind of of what is being said and what is being believed. And I think that I wonder if. There are people out there who think that Aaron Boone would be a different manager with different results if he would bang on the table in the Zoom room and say, we are too right-handed, we need left-handed hitters, or we strike out too much or whatever. Obviously, I don't think that's the case. I I, I think that there is some calculation there. I think there is some just intelligence there to say this is how I need to handle these things. And I mean, I laugh a little bit because this is our job. Our job is to go to these press conferences and write what these guys are saying. but you know, you wonder kind of what, what are we all doing here in some ways? Because I I don't think that anyone believed for a second that the team wasn't too right-handed. And I think that Brian Cashman said during spring training, he was trying to make the team less right-handed, but every day we have Aaron Boone telling us the team is not too right-handed. It makes everything feel a little silly.
3: I think that's a great point, John. And I'll I'll go back to kind of talking about Joe Torrey again, only because when we're talking about managers, he's the best manager coach Leader, I've ever been around. So it's it's kind of hard not to compare. But I, I remember one of the first stories or that I did on him where, you know, he talked about prior to the Yankees, some of the failures that he had, you know, with other teams managing, you know, the Mets and the Braves and the Cardinals. And, you know, he was a players manager. You know, everyone respected him when he had to lay down the hammer. He could and did. But by and large, he was an ally to the players. He was a great, great supporter to the players. He wasn't a tyrant. He wasn't Vince Lombardi or Bill Parcells or any of these football guys. And I I remember when I interviewed him, again, one of the first times, and he talked about, you know, when he wasn't winning – you know, the narrative became, well, the reason you're not winning is because you're too nice and and players' managers don't win. Then he came to the Yankees and he won and the narrative became, well, if you're not a players' manager, you, you can't win. You know, no tyrant's ever going to win. And it's like, well, wh- which is it? But what he learned early on, and I've heard, you know, read a lot of other coaches who've said the same thing, is you are who you are and you have to be true to that. Aaron Boone is not a tyrant. He's not going to walk into the clubhouse, like you said, and flip the table over and scream and yell and tell the media how terrible his players are. I grew up in this town. I saw Bill Parcells do that over and over and over. And it worked for him. And it worked a lot of times for his players, embarrassing him through the media. I mean, going to to the nth degree of, of humiliating them. And they responded, by and large. And if they didn't, they were gone. But that's who he was. That's not who Aaron Boone was. It's not who Joe Torre was. I like that Aaron Boone isn't trying to change who he is to placate the media or placate social media or or anything like that, because he's either going to win here the ultimate prize or he's not, but he's going to do it being who he is. And I think that's hugely, hugely important.
0: Nate, last word. Well said. I hope he gets it done. (laughs) (laughs) From
1: your
2: mouth. Nate defers. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to take a real quick break. When we come back, let's talk about some happier times in Yankees history. Many uh, moments authored by Babe Ruth. So, you know, we, we can't get much happier than Babe Ruth. So stick with us.
0: Hi, this is Aaron Boone. You're listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast.
2: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price
1: and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, this is Gleyber Torres. You are listening to Yankees Magazine Podcast.
2: Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. So... We, uh, we just got done with the conversation about Aaron Boone, whose Yankees career is continuing and May someday. Who knows? End up with a monument, plaque, whatever you want to say in Monument Park. That's a little bit ahead of the game right now. We can certainly, though, discuss someone who is definitely in Monument Park, who essentially created Monument Park, created so much of Yankee's history, and that is Babe Ruth. We write something in the neighborhood of 10,000 to 30,000 different words about Babe Ruth every year. If you read Yankee's magazine, I know you enjoy that, but in this October issue, we have a story that was actually brought to us by the Hall of Fame. Which is about the, the the true science behind Babe Ruth and and the attempt that scientists in the Roaring Twenties uh, went about to try to figure out just what made him so extraordinary.
0: A hundred years ago, in 1921, you know Babe Ruth had maybe his greatest season. Uh, just absolutely set the American League and and the sports world on fire. And so you know we knew heading into 2021 that we wanted to recognize that uh, in in some way. So. Uh, This is actually the second story. You know, we we did... uh looked at, looked at Babe Ruth, you know, from a couple different angles. And there are seemingly endless angles at which you can look back on the life and times of Babe Ruth. So following the the piece uh, that I did in September, where I worked with our museum here at Yankee Stadium to highlight some of the Babe Ruth artifacts we have on hand, there was just a fun piece that I had remembered uh, Bill Francis having written. Bill is a senior researcher up at the Hall of Fame. He's a, a good friend of ours. And, um, you know, he had kind of unearthed this Magazine article in Popular Science Monthly that was done back in 1921, where after some game, I guess it was at the Polo Grounds then, because Yankee Stadium was still a couple of years from being built, you know, these researchers whisked Babe Ruth away to the laboratories at Columbia University. And performed a battery of tests on him to try and figure out uh, just how it is that he's doing all these amazing things. I mean, he's just exponentially better than anybody else in the league and anybody else uh, the league has ever seen. Um, So, you know, they ran a whole bunch of different tests uh, looking at his hand-eye coordination and uh, a bunch of different things to measure the speed and, and things like that. It was a really interesting article, the original one. And then uh, the way Bill wrote about it, you know, it was kind of fun and just seemed like something that our readers would be interested in reading.
2: I love this stuff, obviously. I mean, there's so many different ways that we have written about Babe Ruth. I mean, just looking at the people in this room, Nate, you wrote about the artifacts of of him. Al, you wrote about the places that he stepped kind of and, you know, the bars that he drank in. I wrote about the museum and kind of the leg- legend and and, and all, I mean yeah you, know, you could you could obviously fill magazines and we have filled magazines writing about simply Babe Ruth on this day did this and no one else had done that but one thing that's fun about having to do this year after year while challenging. It also lets you approach these guys from different angles. But the science is such a fascinating thing. I remember a couple of years ago, I wrote about radar guns and and kind of how that whole thing started. And and obviously we're in a point right now where baseball is so scientific and there's so much and it drives some people crazy and other people love it and whatever. We're not gonna get into that argument here. But I do love the idea that just because people are annoyed sometimes with analytics right now, they tend to want to believe that this is something that didn't exist in the past and that no one thought scientifically about the sport. And then you, it, it's not very hard to find out that people were always viewing baseball and, and trying to understand the science behind it.
0: Yeah. And, you know, with Ruth's case, it wasn't so much like using science to gain a little bit of an advantage over the other teams. It was in this case, it was literally just scientists being like, what is going on here with this guy? This is unbelievable. But yeah, you're right. I mean, there's an art aspect of baseball and there's certainly a, a healthy dose of science and physics involved as well. And, you know, that's part of the fun of it is, is looking at it through all these different prisms.
3: You know, you're trying to hit a, a little round ball, you know, hundreds and hundreds of feet. So there has to be some physics element to it you know what i think about when you talk about what babe ruth was doing then you know in the early 20s that no other player was doing you know not not to say what no other player was doing but what no other player was even in the same stratosphere uh as him in in terms of their performance is you know the old the old argument or the age-old argument of, you know, who's the greatest baseball player? Who's the greatest athlete? And I always go back to him, to Babe Ruth. And the reason I do is, you know, when you look at, oh, this this player led the league in home runs this many times, you know, whether it's Barry Bonds or, you know, Willie Mays or, or anybody since Babe Ruth who established themselves as the greatest player of their generation, let's say. What's different about it is You know, they may have been marginally better than the next best player or players. In Babe Ruth's case, he wasn't marginally better. He was producing more than most teams were producing. So it's kind of hard to almost
2: compare him with anybody else in any other era and frankly in in any other sport. It's challenging and I think misses the point to talk about Babe Ruth as a human sometimes. It's more fun to talk about him as just a a holy ghost rising above the sport. And, And 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 that's interesting and and i think that's helpful and i think that's part of the charm but again to go back to my my last point in 1921 he was very much a real person he was very much out there and he was inexplicable you you literally couldn't explain him it took the best scientists in the country to try to sit there and say like how Mm -hmm. like
0: what that's a lot of the fun in putting together these stories as well as like you know the photo aspect of of sometimes when we think of Babe Ruth in our minds, he is this sort of like mythological figure almost. But, you know, we really strive to find unique and really high quality photos of him uh, from back in the day. And, you know, there's one in here that's like almost a full page size. And I think that really shows him jogging th- uh, on the warning track. Um, it was obviously taken a couple of years after 1921 because he's running in Yankee Stadium. But being able to just see him in that light in a magazine in 2021, you know, it was pretty cool, and I, I think as a Yankee fan, it's cool to read about and see pictures of Babe Ruth and be like, "That's our guy!" Like he he played for us back in the day. I mean, the, the big part of the reason the Yankees are the Yankees is because of guys like Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth never played in this stadium, I and mean, we still call it the
2: house that Ruth built. And I think that <laughs> metaphorically, in a sense, that is true. Like, who knows if there's a baseball stadium in the South Bronx a hundred years later, if not for what he did. When he was here, I mean, it's kind of a ridiculous thing in some ways if you think about it. That There there is a baseball stadium where we are right now, and it's just because he made it just such a hallowed ground in a sense that, you know, you you can never dream. Like Obviously, we all went through the late 90s and whatever when when that conversation was happening, and the idea of it was just, you know, too ridiculous to even conceive of. And I think a lot of that is because literally even this stadium is – I think the house that Ruth built.
0: Yeah, you, you step off the four train at one hundred and sixty first Street and onto the street, and where are you? Babe Ruth Plaza. That's you know that's the first face you see welcoming you to to Yankee Stadium. So you know his presence is still very much felt here from monument park to the museum to Ruth plaza outside i mean pictures of him adorning the walls everything else you know number 3 jerseys for sale in the team store it's pretty cool and and you know this was a, a fun you know just piece to include in our october issue you know if you're a subscriber you're getting a, a magazine with you know really cool photo of garrett cole on the front that was taken a couple of weeks before you got that magazine and then inside you've got some really great photos of Babe ruth that were taken a century ago
2: i think there's a really important point though to make because we're talking about october and we're talking about the 100th anniversary of that popular science uh, study you know if we go back instead of 100 years ago to 95 years ago i think i think a crucial thing to consider is the 1926 world series ends with babe ruth getting caught stealing Mm -hmm. to end the world series and this is a very serious question right now that I need a lot of uh, thought on. How much joy do you guys get from the potential idea of Mike Francesa having watched that happen and having to respond to it the next day?
0: <laughs> like uh, if there was sports if there, talk if radio if there was back means. in the day, yeah. Mike yeah. and the Mad Talker, or... and they had to do a segment the
2: next day <laughs> wrapping up the World Series that <laughs> ended with Babe Ruth <laughs> of all people getting caught stealing to end the World Series, to end oh, Game Seven, Cardinals win four three, you know heads would explode what happens the next day <laughs> if, if that
0: happens in 2021 oh obviously you
3: know like, if, if Miller if Huggins to has Holt. to be fired
0: Babe Ruth has to be traded right you right know? Huh? yeah
3: <laughs> yeah it's true well I'll, I'll say this for lots of other reasons thank god there wasn't social media <laughs> when Babe Ruth was around <laughs> because you know getting caught stealing John may have been the least of his problems. <laughs> let's just say that and uh maybe that'll be a, a podcast cast episode for (laughs) for another day but there's
2: a great screenplay they they're babe ruth in the era of camera phones (laughs) oh my god oh my god it's
3: all i I can't even i can't even imagine my one of my favorite stories i actually read in my in my um textbook at saint john's when i was teaching a media relations class was kind of how the and this is even before social media but how the media had changed so much and there was an example of you know babe ruth was uh you know, they were the team was traveling by train, and um, you know they weren't necessarily allowed to have guests in their uh, in their specific train car. Uh, but Babe Ruth did have a guest, and she got angry with him at at some point during the the evening, and chased him with a knife from her car into the media car. And he ran into the media car as she was chasing him. And one of the writers looked at the other writers and said, "Man." That would make a great story. Too bad we weren't allowed to see that. You know, well, <laughs> if you if you think about that happening today. <laughs> Time, times have changed yeah, a little over I, the last I, hundred I years. I think they would have seen it and we would have probably heard about it within like, you know, a minute of it happening. So oh, thank yeah. God there wasn't sh- social media for, for lots of reasons. But You know what I also think about, too? You know, my favorite part of this job and I've said this for 20 years is the interviews that I've been able to conduct with with great people and and great athletes and Yankees players and and some great people outside of the Yankees organization. I can't help, you know, when we have conversations like this to get into that headspace of oh, if I could interview one person, if I go if I could go back in time and interview one person. I know exactly who it would be and it would be Babe Ruth. My god, would it would have been amazing to sit down with him over a beer or dinner or whatever the heck it may be and just interview him. I'd interview him about anything, baseball, not baseball, whatever. But, boy,
2: that's my guy. I got to disagree with you there. I, I, I've i had this conversation before, possibly in this podcast. I'll, I'll bring it back to golf for a second. I think it would be amazing to play, like, Pebble Beach. I think it would be amazing to play St. Andrews. I don't want to play Augusta National. Augusta National is better in my head as something that I'm not buffing the ball around. You know, putting it. uh, Augusta. I don't belong. We
3: don't want you to play Augusta, John. We're we're gonna.
2: I'm gonna go on record and say that. Right. No, I I don't belong on Augusta National, and I and I kind of feel the same way with Babe Ruth. Like Babe Ruth is better without ever having any thought of like being his presence. Babe Ruth is better to me as a myth. I wouldn't want to have. An uncomfortable or a bad conversation with Babe Ruth. I wouldn't want to like be bored by him or unimpressed by him. I mean, some of the most larger-than-life players, even just in the last twenty years, who I have interviewed, I've always come away from those experiences being like, this guy's you know a tool or whatever. And I'm not gonna, like you know <laughs> like it's who? just like there's no way that the idea of actually talking to Babe Ruth could be as good in my mind as what Babe Ruth is. And and so I I would never want to interview Babe Ruth. Uh, I I would, I would, I would love to interview Lou Gehrig. I would love to interview Mickey Mantle. Uh, You know, uh, Mickey Mantle in nineteen, you know, fifty seven. But no, Babe Babe Ruth. I I just it it couldn't be as good as my idea of Babe
0: Ruth. Maybe it would be even better though. Ah, He's Babe Ruth.
2: (laughs) Well, someday, you know, maybe in a in a
3: different place whole I'll different podcast and I'll, I'll tell you how how it goes and <laughs> <laughs> hopefully a long 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 time from now
2: though well i think that's a good uh, a good place to leave it with time travel um <laughs> so if uh, if you enjoyed this episode uh by all means time travel back to the beginning and uh if not just forget it happened but um no seriously uh, we hope that you will uh take this time to like rate review our podcast we work hard on this stuff and we are going to keep working hard all off season we are going to find great things to talk about fun things to talk about and we are going to follow the news let you know what's going on think about stories for 2022 and uh hopefully get us back to the time real soon when we're on the field and uh not just trying to kill time uh, watching other sports that we care about less but uh nate al uh, great talking to you guys same was. yep and everyone else thanks for listening we hope that you will continue listening we hope you will subscribe tell your friends yeah we, uh, we have big things planned for this offseason and certainly for 2022 you can go to yankees.com slash podcast or you can go to the podcast app of your choice we also hope that you will go to yankees.com slash publications where you can subscribe to the magazine where you can buy back issues We are about to launch our holiday specials for 2021-2022 holiday season. Those are always pretty great. We always have special things that we can throw in there. It's great value, so keep checking it. Another great place to find out what we're going to be doing is on Twitter, at Yanks Magazine. And certainly, go to yankees.com slash magazine to read all of our long-form content. That's it for now. Thanks so much for listening, and go Yanks! Hey, this is Giancarlo Stan.
3: If you like what you're hearing, Why don't you rate and review us? And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe.
1: Thanks so much, and go Yankees. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best